You're listening to the Duplication Nation MLM podcast. Leaders live here. What's up, boys and girls? Welcome to another edition of Chopping It Up with dot, 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 Orion Saleh from the majestic country of Norway, near dear friend of mine for many, many years, decades, we can safely say at this point. If you're new to the channel, this isn't an interview. It's just a private conversation between me and some of my amazing friends that I flick on the camera and you get to eavesdrop in on. So, Orion, so great to see you, my friend. Thanks for being on. It's an honor to be here, Randy, and I'm I'm excited about getting to chop up your brain and find out what's inside of it. I mean, it's always a pleasure to have those couple of hours where you really can dig into subjects that you maybe in a normal interview just pass by. So I'm I'm very, very excited about this. Yeah, Daniel Song said, this is the r-rated locker room kind of talk you don't hear this anywhere else (laughs) we've kind of adopted that as the mantra so i thought a really cool place to start would be a, a game which i've just invented and it's called tag team storytelling i'm gonna start a story a real story this is not make believe this is real story and then you jump in, and then I'll jump in and back and forth. I want to recreate this moment in time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, sounds fun. <laughs> so Art Jonak calls me. This is a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He says, he's coming to a seminar I'm doing that weekend called the in Miami here called the MLM Power Weekend. He says, Randy, I've got these three guys from Norway and you know Scandinavia, and they're coming. I think they're going to come to your workshop this weekend, and they desperately want to meet you. They're young guys. They're killing it in the business. They're so excited. And I'm like, Art, you know, I don't like meeting strangers. It's uncomfortable. And he's like, no, but I, you know, make an exception for these. I'm like, so I keep telling him, no, no, no. And he says, really, just, you know, you pick the place. It could be close to your office and you can bail out at any time. I said, all right, let's meet at Larios on the beach, which was, this was back in the, Miami sound machine era. And it was Gloria and Amelia Estefan's restaurant there on Ocean Drive. So I show up, Art is there and three guys, everybody's wearing green shirts. I have no idea why nobody planned it. But (laughs) when we look back at the photos, it's like everybody wore green that day. Um, Pick up the story from there. (laughs) How do you remember that day? So about four days earlier, 
I was sitting on a cruise ship in the Caribbean with Arjonak. I've been walking around on this MLM cruise and I've been looking for who really knows the profession of direct selling. And I got to interview with some bright minds. We had Michael Claus was there and Tom Schreider was there, of course. And we also got, uh, I think, Richard Brooke was there. And I've gone through them and some top level leaders as well. So I was sitting with Art in his booth and he was there and he was this journalist, you know, for the Upline magazine. And he knew the ins and outs. And I said, Art, tell me, really, if I'm going to meet the best of the best of this profession, what do I have to do to find out who can really teach me how to make that 100K a month or more? I need help, Art. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, you know what? This man, you know, that I, I don't know him that well, but I've met him a couple of times. He lives in South Beach and I have a plan to try to meet him before I'm going back home. And if I'm lucky, we get the time and we can get to meet Randy Gage. Oh, yes. yes. So we, we we're at Larios and I'm there, you know, with one foot out the door because I'm nervous about new people. I fall in love with the three of you, and you're just so charming and so, I mean, you guys were so hungry and wanted to do it. And just so not only the lunch goes on forever, but then I invite you, hey, come on back to my office. Let's because the waitress needs the table. We've been here for God knows how long. Um, so we go back to my office and we're chatting there and I have the galley proof for how to build a multi-level money machine that my publisher has sent me to say, okay, this is the galley. You need to read the whole thing, check for any typos and send it back in because this is what's going to go to print. So Tim, who's with you, and Hans Uwe, uh, Jans Uwe says, um, oh, we have to have that book. I'm like, you can't have that book. That's that's my you don't have to correct it after no 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 we're taking that book back to scandinavia like tim you can't take the book back it's i have to send it and he's like i don't want to hear your personal problems whatever this details you're talking about we have to be successful you're the guy you wrote the book we have to have the first copy in the world. So it was going to be my Kung Fu skills against his special forces training. Uh, it's going to be a bloodbath to the death. Or, and I find that I'm just like, you know what? These, he's, they're so insistent on this. I just got to give him the book. And and I'll tell the publisher, you, you know, you're just gonna have to FedEx me another one. They want it so bad. And then I had that event that weekend, and you guys weren't registered for it because you didn't have any money. You had spent like everything you could to get on this cruise. And I was like, you gotta, you guys, I, I, oh no, I think the event was in Orlando. Yeah. And I was saying, you guys got to get, I don't care about your flight. You you guys have to be here. This is a weekend. 
And do you remember where it went next? <laughs> yeah, well, well, first of all, Tim actually pretended like he put back the book first. So you were kind of at ease. <laughs> and then when we were walking out of the office, you go, you still have the book. <laughs> and, and he says, yes, I couldn't leave it in there. We need the book. <laughs> so, I forgot that. But, yeah. And that's when you were like, okay, let them have the book. I can order a new one. And then, then we went with you before this was actually put together. We actually came with you to that home party. And you oh, were actually yes. building a business. I was and doing an actual presentation that night, Absolutely. Right? It was you building a business with a local team. You'd sponsor this lady or this guy like two months ago or six weeks ago. And they had like seven or eight guests. And me, Jens, and Tim lined up in the coach. And you were up there. She did the introduction. And you did the presentation. And you were drawing out the circles on the whiteboard. And then... Wow. I like like one of the things that can't never leave my mind from that evening was that when you were all done with a presentation and you put in 45 minutes of really quality material from a professional. And at this point, you've already made it from being a very good person in direct selling to being like an idol and a legend to us okay because we understood you really knew this you were making those checks that we could just dream about making and then the hand goes up either from this guy or this lady I can't say what it was and like this and eventually you try to ignore the hand for a while and then eventually you said so what would you be your question in a very polite way and uh, the person just says this looks like one of those permit skips. <laughs> and then you get to answer that question, which you did perfectly well. So it wasn't any problem at all. But for the three of us was, oh, what a relief. After all of these years, this expert, and he also gets the same question. I think it's okay that we can answer the question too. So we got really excited about that. And then, of course, the guest left and we were hanging out in the evening together with you and the host. And then we were bragging about our results. And that's where actually you slammed your hand in the table. Do you remember that? No, no. <laughs> and you said, that's... you guys don't know anything and you make no money. I've got a suggestion for you. We've got an MLM Power Weekend in Orlando later on next weekend. And that's where you will understand a system-driven business. So you have to be there. And I was like kind of the setup. And then we met again the next day. And we had this discussion about how to get there and everything. So it was like, that was the two things that couldn't leave me from that meeting. You still get those silly questions, no matter how good the presentation is. And that we were thinking that we were good, but you had that guts to tell us directly what we needed to hear. Otherwise, we might have, have ignored it. <laughs> yeah, because I probably, you would probably be too polite to repeat it, but I probably said, you guys don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been. I've told the story from stage, so I've polished the language. <laughs> yeah, so what? So the three of you met, 
And Jan's Uwe says, we don't have enough money to go for everybody to eat and whatever. I'm going to take my plane back to Norway. I'm going to give you two the rest of the money I have. You guys split it so you can go to Orlando and go to this thing. So you come to this weekend. You go home with the first copy in the universe of multi-level money machine. You put it to work. I don't know how much longer, but I think a year or less, you call me and say, hey, we want to hire you to come to Norway or Sweden, one or the other. We're going to have our leaders together and we want you to come and help train them. And you had like 7,000 people who were your leaders and just an astonishing achievement. Well, I, I'll make a little correct. We probably called anybody with a pulse for a leader at the time to get to 7,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we definitely packed the rooms with, uh, on weekends like that, we would have six, 7,000 people. And in the actual, I think you did two weekends. We did one for the leaders and then for one for the big room. We actually put probably about five, 600 people in the room where we had the top leaders for the similar of an MLM Power Weekend. And then we did a event the weekend after where everyone was gathering. So that was an, an enormous time. And we did learn a lot from uh, those encounters or those uh, uh, trainings where you came over to Scandinavia to put kind of things together for us because we had the energy, we had the drive, we had the enthusiasm, we had creativity but we didn't have the experience. And one of the things that later on in life, at least uh, I've understood, is that if you know where you're going, it's really easy to find a way. But if you have no where where you're going, you might take a lot of wrong ways before you find the right one. And then getting a mentor, getting a coach, or finding somebody that have been where you want to go before, will you shorten the distance enormously? You'll get there so much quicker. So that's where we took the weekends. And uh, it was uh, probably about two and a half years after that first one uh, where you came over or two years, you'd gone into retirement, come out of retirement, and we could finally afford to hire you and pay you first class tickets to come over there and all of those things that wasn't obvious as a part of your speaking career. And I remember you brought me back a year or so later. You couldn't find a venue big enough. So you found an exhibition hall, which is made for trade shows where people set up booths. It wasn't made for presentations. So you needed, so it was like a bowling alley. It was so much wide and then went on for 11 miles. So there was no projection screens big enough that would show the people in the back what was going on from the camera on the stage. So you built your own projection screens. You owned the largest projection screens in Scandinavia. And then you had to, I think you had to build some extra doors in the wall for the fire marshal, because they said, no, if you, this is made for trade shows, if you're going to do classroom seating with 
whatever, 10,000 people or whatever, there's not enough fire exits. So you, I mean, the, and the thing, so that was amazing, but even more amazing, I think to me, and by the way, you know, when, for people who watch this back then, you had a girlfriend named Hilda, who is now your wife. And you guys have built together over these many years. And Hilda is going to be on a chopping it up in a week or two, probably, depending how the schedule of how these get posted. Um, so she's amazing in her own right. And you're going to hear her story. But so, you you know, you had to go through all this crazy stuff for this. But I think at the first time you brought me in, you were a distributor for a company. The second time or the third time, I don't remember, you can correct the timeline. You had you guys had started your own company, which is insane. We've had 227,000 top leaders who have decided to start their own company and they've all failed miserably because the skill sets are so different and it just doesn't translate. And they don't understand the big picture, cash flow, manufacturing, logistics, customer service, product development, research. You guys did that and you did it successfully. And you're, and that company has changed and kind of morphed, but what you have created, I, I'm just, you know, I'm so proud that I know you guys and know and, and I got to have a front row seat for what you guys have accomplished. Well, th thank you so much. And um, it's been a long journey, as you say. And I, uh, when, when you say that company have somewhat changed over time, it's a natural. And I, I remember having this discussion with one of our early top leaders, and he was kind of taking me to the side, you know, in a little bit of a bully way is about a head taller than me. So he could be that big guy that could bully me. And uh, we were discussing some changes to different things. So adjustments to different things. And he was not agreeing with it. And he said, well, you guys promised us that there would never be any changes there would never be any adjustments that was your promise and I looked him straight into the eyes probably leaned forward trying to get as close as possible because when somebody tries to intimidate you get close to them so they know that you're not afraid and I said can you tell me what the slogan is for our company and uh, he was blank, okay? And I said, okay, it's a very simple slogan for a company. Can you tell me what it was? And he, no, I can't. And I said, okay, well, it is inspire change in life. And here you're claiming that I put a slogan on my company where we said that we would inspire change in life. And at the same time, I'd go and promise you from stage that we will never do any changes. Come on, that, that can't be true. <laughs> so it must be you that have made these promises because you didn't understand how a business evolves. And this brings me to, I wouldn't say the number one mistake, 
but as close to number one that you can get without it being number one. And that's the promises people make that things are going to be the same forever. Come into our business. We've got this comp plan. It's never going to change. We've got this product. It's never going to change. We've got these ingredients. It's never going to change. we got all of these things. And they make promises that can't be sustained because when you've been around for a while, you know that any business that doesn't do an IT upgrade, and I mean, you and Art chopped it out about technical uh, things and IT and uh, all the things that needs to be in order in that arena, talking about the apps and the future of tech development in our profession. If, if you don't do adjustment and changes in the next seven years, you're going to be dead in the next seven years after that. And that is actually old information. Today, it might be no changes in four years. You're going to be yeah, dead in less. four years. So, so it's going more and more rapidly. So, so just to that journey that we had, uh, we maybe embraced it with a bit of naivety that we thought that we were maybe better than what we actually were. Uh, but then early on to that journey, we discovered that the key is to challenge the status quo and to challenge yourself at the same time and be willing to change and adapt for kind of failing fast forward and sometimes doing the right thing fast forward. And then through that, you will find your DNA. And, and one of our values later on became uh, that we are we, the value of Kaizen, continuous improvement, that we always need to improve on what we're doing. And through that, we could be that company that today is launching its 44th official country. Uh, and number 44, a couple of hours since we went live, was the country of Turkey, so 80 million people market. And uh, we're continuing on that journey of improving and expanding and trying to do the right thing. And if we do the wrong thing, it's okay. Then we just adjust it, we change it, and we move on and we do the right thing going forward after that. Yeah. So your first company, when you went on your own, is people are going to have to Google this, was a long distance service because there was no cell phone with unlimited minutes i mean we were paying like 28 cents a minute to call grandma you know and then it went down to 25 and 20 and then so you guys started with that and then as broadband came along and and phones started to become a commodity you pivoted to healthy beverages mainly coffees mm -hmm. and then you got to the company you are now, which is a total wellness company with essential oils, omega-3, you know, all of that stuff. Did you, was that first, I'm trying to remember, was that first company Zenzino or was it a different company and then Zenzino became the second company? How did that progression work? Well, so so when you then introduce me as uh, founder or owner, I just say that I've got an ID number in the field. I don't hold a board position. I've got no management position. So I'm building this and recruiting partners on a monthly basis, bringing in customers personally, both me and Ilda, every single month. So we do the field work 
as the primary thing that we do. So I got my ID number back in 1996. I still have that today. So when we first met, I already got my ID number. So in reality, I never switched anything, but my original company started a telecom division. And one day I got a phone call where they said, we're going to sell it. And that was all the growth that we had in the business at that time. And then I just answered very boldly back to the owner of the company and the chairman of the board of that company and said, well, then I'm going to buy it. And I knew that, no, I had five minutes, five <laughs> minutes to call the next guy I knew he would call on his list and get to that person before him. Yes. <laughs> so I got to that person before him and I said, you're going to receive a phone call within five minutes. When you tell him that you're buying the company, we are in on half of the deal. So later on that evening, the company was sold. And we were in on half of the deal. We didn't know the details of the deal yet. And it was a big surprise in the boardroom of that original company when I was sitting in the boardroom when the deal was going to be signed. And they asked. The, so the, the, when, when I first went, you were distributor of a you know, vitamin, mineral, whatever company. Yeah. That company started the telecom division. Right. And then that company was just going to sell the telecom division or they were yeah. going to sell the whole company? No, just the telecom division. And we would go, go back to your cell nutrition and have no more commissions from telecoms. That was their original idea. And that's and you were killing it with the telecom side. Correct. So that's how we ended up with a little bit of ownership after that meeting. When I showed up to the boardroom, we had like 3% of the company. So we just were small owners together with a bunch of other ones taking or 49% share and the rich guy took the 51% share. And we walked out of that room that day, allowed to do the nutritional, but also allowed to do the telecoms where we were small owners. And that was the original formulations. No, my ID number was split in two with same ID number, two different databases. So and that was two, my ID number. Different two different companies then at that point, right. you still right. were in the old nutritional company and now you were a minority owner and a distributor in the new telecom company. Correct. And then how did it go from you at 3% to <laughs> now having owning a big chunk of a publicly traded company? Yeah, so we went from there and then it was an enormous launch. You know, we put in 80,000 new customers in three months, which was exciting and things were looking very good. But as you mentioned, that time frame of telecoms 2003, 2004, 2005, back home in Scandinavia was probably the biggest disruption that we've ever had because we left. You, you remember back when we met, every phone had a cable in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then those extension cords came so you could walk around the entire office. And then after a while, those handheld ones came so you didn't need extension cord. Well, I saw, I saw an interview with Warren Buffett profiling him at home in Omaha. 
He still has that phone on the wall. He has like a 60 foot cord so he can walk around the house and do his business. <laughs> Amazing. But in Scandinavia, everyone was getting mobile phones from the early 2000s. So this was kind of like the last, uh, uh, what do you call that? The last tail of the landline telecoms. And that was where all of our customers were based. So it went from a profitable business to a business losing money really quickly. And we were just launching into mobile phones and so on. And quite frankly, the first customers you get are the losing ones and you got to take every customer as a new company. And it wasn't a pretty side. So we ended up being in a position where the company lost a lot of money. And you could either sell the database and pay everyone two years of commission or you could give away the database for free four weeks later. That was kind of like the decision-making that you got to do. So wow. I said, sell now. The board said, no, we had an offer which would have given us like 6 million euros for one or two of the countries. We had several countries going. And then the board said, no. And I said, okay, that's a very bad idea. Like, I'm the one making commission from this. I want to sell. No, let's just sell. And I said, no, we'll get more money for it if you just wait a little bit. Four weeks later, they sold it to the same guy for 2.3 million euros. <laughs> and and that's, that's when we realized we sell the rest now. We can still pay two years of commission. Uh, and we will have the chance to formulate and find a new product. And that was where most of the people lost their interest. And uh, me and Hilda had a conversation. What are we going to do? Are we going to go and live from our investments? Are we going to go and find a new company? Are we going to just start a regular company? I did have ownership in some regular companies that were doing well at the time as well. And she said, well, no, we're people that finish what we started. Uh, so we decided, okay, we stick with it. We find a new name. We find a new product. And we buy out whoever doesn't want to be with us on the journey. And then we started Cincino in 2005. Amazing. And did, were you public at the start? No, no, we were not. We became public in 2011 at a small listing in Sweden. And then we went to the Nasdaq board in Sweden with the first North growth list in 2014. So that was the moment where we got to ring the bell and all of those things. And we had our company brand name on Times Square in New York and all of those things that you maybe have a little bit of like, that's a cool, that's a dream. You've seen it in movies, you've seen it in the newspapers. It's nothing like it is in the movies or in the newspaper. It's a whole lot of responsibility to tell people what you're going to do next year and then deliver on exactly what you want to do, which, which sometimes people, you know, they want to surprise you and, and incorporate. Like, like if you're in the field, it's fun with a surprise. You, you say, well, I'm going to go for this new rank and then you surprise them with going two ranks up and you get this big round of applause well in corporate you can get fired for that yeah. because you don't want to surprise anybody if you are over delivering please let us know asap if you're under delivering 
please let us know as soon as possible because we need to be a company that is responsible. If you're over delivering, we need to order more products. We need to plan for this. Boats takes now, like during the pandemic, boats took like nine, 10, 11 weeks to get goods delivered. Air shipment went up 11, 1200% overnight. I mean, you don't want surprises during that time. You need accurate accounting and accurate prognosis for how to run the company because otherwise you run out of money. So yeah, it, it is a lot of responsibility. At the same time, it's an amazing blessing to be able to kind of pull in some strings that you don't get to do if you're only in the field. Yeah, and what you say about the surprises you know, if you're going to go 40% above your earnings projection and you do it and you don't tell them, they're pissed off because they're like, I could have bought more stock at this yeah. price and I could have made more money on my investment. And why are you, why are you, you know, shocking me with this great news? I hate it. And they're mad at you. Correct. And I can't trust you. Right. Right. I can't trust you. It doesn't matter which way you don't deliver on your word. You just didn't deliver on your word. Being public means to the best of your ability, deliver on your word. If you can't deliver on your word, to the best of your ability, correct as soon as possible. So you brought up something that I had on my list that I want to talk to you about. You and Hilda made this conscious choice we're going to start this company, but we're not going to run it. We want to stay in the field. This is how we think um, we're going to best support the company and our team and create the growth moving forward. Somebody like me, uh, OCD personality type, the idea of, and you, you've got a guy, uh, a dog, who's your CEO, who's lovely, lovely guy just a delightful person. Um, yeah, so OCD guy like me, that like, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to hire someone else to run it. My mind can't even process that because I don't control it. You know, part of, part of being my, you know, part of the curse of being me <laughs> is, you know, you have this, uh nanny narrator right you you if you grow up like i did so pathologically shy and low self-esteem and you're desperate to fit in and i was always an outcast like an alien from another planet so you're always trying to think 15 moves ahead on the chessboard and how you can uh be accepted and 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 keep the people around you to accept you and so that means you got to control everything which is just neurotic, crazy, dysfunctional behavior. And it took me six years worth of therapy to work my way out of that. But even post-therapy, uh, uh, the idea of putting my whole fortune in a company and not running it is terrifying to me. How did you guys uh, navigate that process? Well, first of all, it, it comes down a little bit to your training. So I did try to run things. I did try to be 
in 16 boards. I did try to have two vice president positions. I did all of this before I hit 30 years of age. And it was a very stressful life. And I remember on my 30th birthday, and this is kind of giving people a picture of the journey. So at 17, I joined Herbalife before I find a company where I'm successful. And I'm weighing 68, 69 kilograms. And I have this big button that says lose weight now, ask me how, while well, you can count the ribs on my front from the back. So definitely <laughs> live the brand. <laughs> and then pivot from that into another nutritional company that does sell diet products. And then I end up being 30 years old. And Hilda has, for my birthday, uh, gotten some friends together in secret. And she has arranged with a friend of mine that is a chef to come to my place and go through the menu. And then we would go to a restaurant to have lunch and meet some other friends. And then when I get down to that restaurant, I see this big yacht and flags and balloons and all my friends on the back of the yacht and singing my happy birthday song and I get to go onto the yacht which is amazing we sail out the fjord and no plan on going back so we end up at this nice fjord hotel and we're gonna have dinner there and so on so we get to the suite and I turn to Hilda and say okay I'm in short and t-shirt. <laughs> What's the plan? And she says, no worries, no worries. I, I, I brought you this big suitcase with your nicest clothes, so no problems. Captain has already shifted off to being down in the, or yeah, it was actually a suite, which was on the bottom floor. We're walking out into a nice garden. So it was the nicest room was at the bottom floor of this Fjord Hotel. And it's down there and you'll find everything that you need. So I come down into my room and excited. I open the, uh, <clears throat> the suitcase and I look into it and I go, oh my, oh my, four suits, eight shirts. Will any of them fit me? Because it was from this side of the closet for after I would lose all of this weight that I'd gained selling nutritional diet supplements. <laughs> <laughs> so I have the biggest one of them. And I'm like, I'm remembering laying down on the bed, sucking in my stomach, putting a belt on so the button couldn't escape when I would draw ear again. <laughs> I could just get it on. I weighed 106 kilograms, gained 40 kilos since I started selling diet products because of all the stress, because of all the companies, because of all the people. Big events, you, you make it sound glamorous when you've sold more tickets than what you have an acceptance from the fire, fire department to have in the venue. You make it because you were the outside speaker. <laughs> you have to deal with all the stuff. You make it sound fun to start your own event company, to be able to have a screen big enough so you can do your show for the audience. No, that's called stress <laughs> when you're on the other side of the table. Uh, and that evening, I was listening to all the beautiful talks about me. I was very honored. 
I've always had great people around me. That's one of the reasons. And maybe we should dig into that subject about how did we get to where we were because, or where we are, because it's great people around us and being willing to, to develop yourself into a person which great people want to spend time with. So I make a decision that evening that I'm going to go back to my vision, to my dream which was to build that direct selling business, be in the field, enjoy life, and be the visionary leader of companies, not the day-to-day -day operational leader in the company. So the very next day, I started withdrawing from boards. And 14 days later, I was only in one board, the holding company of me and Hilda, and every other position was gone. And I was 30 years old, starting my second path of success, where the first goal was to lose that excess weight as quickly as possible. And it took five years. So, so it wasn't easy. It actually took five years getting back to just being healthy, normal person, fit, excited about life and so on. Okay, so I have to jump in there because one of the points that I had to talk to you about was weight physique mm -hmm. exercise. You had me over there in Norway again, I don't know, four months ago or something. And I was up in the green room with you and Dog and Hilda. Uh, Art wasn't there because he was doing some event in the U.S., but I, I thought about the four of you, and I said, if I put those four people together, there isn't a single ounce of excess body fat on any of them. The, you, dog, Hilda, I mean... Our art, you know, is here in the States and we see each other more often. And so when I, he got his tonal machine and he tells me about the workouts on it and we're always swapping exercise hacks and diet hacks and stuff. So I knew, you know, and he, he told the story on, you know, when his daughter got in his lap and said, you know, you have this big belly and he came <laughs> around. Right. Um, but I was just. And, you know, I, I work with a lot of companies that are wellness companies, and some of the people running those wellness companies don't look so well, right? Um, and I don't say that to be judgmental. I'm in a wellness company, and if you see these circles under my eyes, I have serious um, issue right now. I'm working with, uh, uh, you know, a histamine intolerance. It makes me allergic to everything, and so you know, we all go through our challenges, but I do pride myself on regular exercise, eating healthy, um, going, you know, I'll be 64 in less than two weeks and I will be at softball practice tonight, crushing the ball. Um, so I'm doing pretty good for where I'm at, I think. But I was just, as I sat in the green room with you guys, I thought just remarkable how lean you all are. So you say, hey, this wasn't, it took me five years. What changed in you personally? How did you go from the guy who was, because yeah, you, you know, you definitely had a period of your life where you were carrying around some extra weight yeah. um, for years. 
and now you are the picture of fitness. What, what did you do personally? How did you make that transformation? Well, first of all, I think Randy is exaggerating our fitness status a little bit. So there is, I there don't is think things, so. but, but <laughs> we, we, we are we, we're very conscious about it. And it was it was a was a journey. And and this is of course a very sensitive subject because I I I don't take this lightly. It's actually very hard to alter something that has uh, happened over time because when you uh, grow into excess weight it's actually a physical change in your being there you are turning cells that could be made into several things but as soon as the cells are turned into a fat cell it will stay a fat cell for the rest of your life and unless you do liposuction which i don't recommend and have not done it's going to be with you forever and the difference between a muscle cell is that a muscle cell can gain like 1.3, 1.35, if you're really lucky, of its own body mass in a year. While a fat cell can gain 50 times of its own body mass in a year. And it never stops growing. So now when you gain weight, you convert more and more of these cells that can become anything into fat cells. And they are always fat cells. So when you then go on a diet, and people are in general surprisingly good at losing weight on diets, uh, very, very good at it. And I was very good at losing weights on diet. And I find that that's not the hard part. The hard part is when the diet ends, and then you're going to go back to somewhat a normal meal, normal life. And then you gain the weight again. And sometimes after a diet, it feels like all I need to do is to go into a restaurant and breathe. And I will already gain weight again. <laughs> you know, don't even need to eat uh -huh. the food. Uh, and, so, and, 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 it, and it's a tough thing because uh, as I got this knowledge, I understood that I will carry this problem with me forever. Not to make a connotation to alcoholism in any ways but it is one time overweight it is actually always overweight because those fat cells will grow and like it doesn't matter how much food you give them that day they will just grow and grow and grow and they'll eat and eat and eat so you need to be very disciplined in keeping the weight off so the picture that i got in my mind when i was 30 years old was that when I get kids. Do I want to be the kind of father that calls bending down to tie my shoelaces for exercise? Or do I want to be the one that can outrun them to the top of the hill and not have a breath and be fine and run back down and play with them? And I really wanted to be the later kind of a father. So that was the picture that I got that kept me under discipline. And every morning it starts, if I did mess up the day before, it's back to discipline the next day, to the exercise regime the next day. We will always mess up in business, in life, in weight loss, in fitness. We'll always mess up. The, the point is not not to mess up. The point is to course correct 
immediately when you messed up so that it doesn't have a long-term consequence for the failures that you have. So it's a disciplined regime. Hilda's got the discipline. She always had it. Dog has the discipline. And then we also want to represent our brand. Uh, and we believe in disciplining ourselves to live a healthy lifestyle is a representation of the brand. Not necessary. We've got plenty of people that are still on their journey and they can be on their journey as long as they want to, but we need to be on a journey where we want to be healthy. Then we can represent the brand. Yeah, I, I was in a board meeting with one of my client companies and I was we were talking about product extension and I was talking about how we have to be this inclusive open tent that there are millions of people like here in the United States there's probably a hundred million people who drink somewhere between six and 18 diet cokes or diet pepsi a day who eat nothing but junk food, who might smoke two packs of cigarettes, who might do a lot of illicit drugs. And it doesn't work to be judgmental. So I was saying, we need to create a product line that, and we need to create a culture where we're not shaming these people. We're welcoming them. Yes. And you know, I, this is a lesson I learned from a Baptist minister in Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> uh, a guy named Jack Robbins. So he decided he was going to start a church and he rented a gym in a school every Sunday. And he went out knocking on doors and said, hi, my name is Pastor Jack Robbins. I'm starting a church for people who don't have a church. And he knocked on my door and I joined his church. And uh, so I don't know how some point I'm sitting, standing next to him. He's in the doorway. People are leaving out, going out. And um, so and I, so I'm chatting with him. So somebody stopped. He's shaking the hand and people are thanking him for the service. And so this lady rips into him, says, listen, I, you know, that couple over there, they come every Sunday. They're not married. They're living in sin. How can you allow these people into our church? And I'm thinking, whoa, what's he going to say to this? And he says, I think you have a different view of the church than I do. See, I don't think the church is meant to be a hospital. I don't think it's meant to be a showplace for saints. I believe it's meant to be a hospital for sinners. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> drop the mic, you know? And so I tried to take that philosophy into my work in nutrition companies. Because it's so easy to judge people. I mean, I see the comments. People look at my eyes and I, you know, I'll go down YouTube and they're like, and, and you know, and I'm sniffling and blowing my nose all the time. When you get the allergy thing, you have the sinus drip like crazy. And, you know, people are in the comments, oh, my God, this Coke sniffing slime bag, you know, he must be a junkie, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's really easy to make those superficial judgments, you know, when you don't know people's story. So I was telling that in this board meeting and the vice president, who would be uh, a plus size model, would be the diplomatically way to say it. Said, Thank you so much. I've, you know, that's, 
that's what I need to hear, even as a as a vice president, that, okay. yeah, we can be welcoming people like me who are on that journey. And that's a big part of of, you know, what we've got to do in this profession. Right. No, I, I agree totally with you. And, and body positivity is an enormous, important thing because I believe that your self-image, the stronger it becomes, the more ability you have to change. And we want to inspire change in life. So we got to bring people to feel stronger, feel better about themselves and so on. At the same time, when the relationship is there, like Thea and Art, she challenged her dad to like as brutally as you can do it. And he <laughs> knew that that was only out of love. And yeah. he took the point and he was able to completely change something that he didn't struggle with for like most of the life. He didn't struggle with it. But then he had gotten off the mark probably during the COVID time and so on. And he was just, okay, I got to correct that because that's not my standard. And he was challenged to reach his standard. So as we are positive and embracing everyone, we also want to have a community where we can challenge people to meet their higher potential, which is one of the things that I, I think uh, learning from you through all of these years has been interesting. And you've definitely been a person not afraid of challenging uh, someone speaking into their life, both positive and tough. I wouldn't say negative, but tough, being direct and being that force that could be altering the direction of the person. And then at the same time, teaching people critical thinking so they don't get lost in their status quo, which is where I want to chop it up a little bit, because I remember, and, and this is like as taboo as taboo can be, okay? I'm going to get into that juicy subject, but I remember getting a text message from a friend of mine with a picture of you where you were proudly getting that COVID injection. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so you came to the conclusion that, hey, for me, that's the best thing to do. I want to take the vaccine. And then your rant afterwards, below it was maybe not as nicely put to everyone. You said, stop being conspiracy theories, or well, you can correct what you said exactly. You remember that better than me. And I had to answer to my friend and say, well, that's his personal choice. I support him fully in that. What's your personal choice? was my answer back but you started there and now three years have gone by or two years since that moment have gone by and and of course some of the people that were skeptical know maybe take a a, a, a joyful ride of saying okay well maybe that wasn't that smart and so on <laughs> and they go down that route and and they get to do that because a lot of people got it wrong with a lot of the things around COVID. And I mean, watching media, watching politicians, it's kind of hilarious if you look the clips from before and after and so on. But then I know also during the pandemic, just as I came maybe from the opposite side from you, and I somewhat pivoted my viewpoints. You came from that side and pivoted your viewpoint. 
and that's called critical thinking. So tell me a little bit about the process that you were through with that, and then we'll dig into some more areas for critical thinking. Cool topic. Yeah, I, I do remember this snarky comment I put because um, I was really feeling it at the time because I really needed that vaccine. If we went by what we believed to be true, which was, you know, at that time, Balaji Srivinasam, who's probably one of the smartest five people on planet Earth with a background as a biotech investor. He was the guy really in February of 2020 saying, guys, this could be the one. This could be, you know, the movie World War Z or the Andromeda strain or whatever. I'm just getting reports from China of they are they are literally welding the doors shut on apartment buildings that people cannot leave their buildings and they're passing in food through the windows in hazmat suits. 35, 45 year old healthy people are dropping dead on the streets. Well, I've been HIV positive since 2006. So that means I have a compromised immune system. I have the ultimate comorbidity. And what we knew at that point was, hey, younger people without comorbidities seem to do good with this. But people over 50, people over 60, people with comorbidity, they're dropping like flies. So I was like, I need this vaccine or I could be dead. And I had like a five week wait to get the vaccine because it was very limited production at that point. And it, but I got opened up for a chance to go in. So I wrote this snarky post, which I never should have written on, you know, when I got the injection and I wrote, and I want to thank all you people who don't want to get the vaccine because you made me move up in the line five weeks or, you know, something to that effect. And that's what, you know, that was not the most diplomatic thing. <laughs> and I'm not known for my tact and diplomacy. We can all agree on that. Um, and so, yeah, in, in terms of the critical thinking, I just, what was going on here in the United States, you, President Trump was in office at the start. He realized that these press conferences were ratings gold. So he took all of the medical professionals out of them and he insisted on doing them every day himself. And he's a very smart man in some ways and a very ignorant man in other ways. And, you know, he had said, this is going to be gone in two weeks. Initially, he was saying that in like, I don't know, May or something like that. And it's nothing. And don't worry about it. And we had literally 800,000 people a day dying at some point in the U.S. And he was saying, well, you know, bleach kills it and uh, ultraviolet light kills it. And so and then it's like people are and I'm like, listen. There's all kind of things that if you put them in a Petri dish, 
bleach will kill them. There's all kinds of things you can put in a Petri dish that green tea will kill it, or Tabasco sauce will kill it, or mustard will kill it, or cucumbers will kill it. But it's different when it's a viral respiratory infection taken over your lungs. And no, you can't drink bleach. It doesn't work that way. You can't put ultraviolet light in your, you know. So I was so furious with him and the crazy shit he was saying, which I felt is getting people killed who didn't have to die. And I had a buddy I played softball with who died. I mean, in his 30s, a policeman, healthy as an ox. I played softball with him the last Sunday we had our league. And two weeks later, he dropped dead of COVID. Another friend who was in his 70s who died alone in the hospital with nobody could come and visit him. He's intubated on a respirator, the most horrific way to die. And so I was holding Trump responsible. I was very agitated. Um, if we look back on it now, it wouldn't have mattered who was president. COVID, there was an Israeli scientist at the very beginning. He said, COVID's going to do what COVID's going to do. You can do all the masking. You can close all the borders. You can do whatever. COVID's going to do what COVID's going to do. It's a vi It's like the AIDS virus in the sense it's always um, changing. You know, it's always morphing. And so usually, and here we are half a century later, we still don't have a vaccine for the AIDS virus. We have containment, right? But we don't have something that is a vaccine. And the, the premise then was maybe COVID is going to be the same thing. So the truth is all of the horrific things I assigned to President Trump, really, he only deserved 22.6% of them, not 100% of them. True, true. So let me jump in there, because if we fast forward, then you were speaking at our convention in Oslo then you start feeling a little bit bad on Friday evening, then on Saturday, you get a little bit worse. And a by Saturday night, <laughs> you have a COVID test and you can fly home the very next day. Not because you couldn't have flown home with COVID. I, I was already then so done with the pandemic. So, and, and also in, in Scandinavian countries, they were already lifting all the non-fly and all of those things months before that actually so there yeah. was no rules left there and uh, you were then checked into your suite uh, at Akabrige down by the harbor so you have a beautiful ocean view and you're living through your week with COVID and I'm coming there to bring you foods that they don't have on the menu of the five-star hotel. You were not there to bring me food you were there trying to get infected with COVID so you could get a visa. <laughs> no, no. So so I was there not wearing a face mask. And we had conversations about this subject during that time where you didn't go to where a lot of people went, where they said, we got to give this to five-year-olds indefinitely, give them the injection, because we learned to know that the virus was different from what we originally knew. And you changed your viewpoint as we got more data. And as did I. I changed my viewpoint as we got more data. Because as you were 
over there in the U.S. and I was here at home and I had my conversation with our doctor or Dr. Paul and he said, I don't know what it is in this virus, but when they closed down a 63 million people city with three people died, I know that they're lying about something because you don't do that. Three people dying in China in a month that is not a number that makes you close down a city. So we don't know what it is. So I got everything that we needed for 90 days into our house. And I was ready to be the one that would be outside if we needed something while the family was locked down. That was a very real thing. My phone call after I ordered all of that for the house was to dog and said, okay, we might be not able to produce products for a long time. They might close down factories, everything. I think they will keep a postal system open because they need to deliver stuff still. So let's get seven months more of more, seven months more goods in the warehouse than the normal stocks. We went from like uh, running 120 days to nearly a year of stock in the warehouse because we didn't know what would happen. So we were like getting ready for the major hit. And then of course, the, even before the vaccines were out or anything like that, I'd gotten report from the people in the medical community that I was listening to that said, well, first of all, for younger people, the original version was hard. The B version was milder. The C version was milder. So this virus is following the pattern of what a virus normally does. If it starts killing too many, it will kill less in the future. And then the chief scientist on Iceland, I remember leading there and he's, he's filing for like the global DNA library or something like that that I have in Iceland. And he had discovered 1835 different variants of the COVID virus. And this was before the vaccine was out. And then I go, Okay, we, we don't have a vaccine yet. We have 1,800 variants of the virus. This is impossible. This is insanity. What is the world trying to do? And then at the same time, I had to pivot that viewpoint to when my mother asked me, so what about my mother? What do you think about her? What should we do? And then the question came. My dad was clear. He wanted the shot as soon as it was available. Then my mother said, what about me? I cannot travel for two or three or four years. What should I do? I had to give my answer to her. And I gave my answer to my uh, grandmother. And I recommended them on their personal choice. And then I had to give the answer to my wife and to myself and to my kids. And the answer was different because the situations were different and the time frames were different. So I changed my view from being in this might be the worst thing ever to when you were in Oslo. I don't care if I get COVID one more time, five more times. It's the same thing. I've had it before. I lived through it. My body can handle it. I'm not afraid of it anymore. And I'll just live my life normally. And, yeah, and people, point, people, need to, people need to know that you, when you get COVID, you then can travel in your country because they say, hey, the natural immunity 
is even superior to the vaccine. So if you could show that you actually had, that's why I joke and said, you weren't bringing me soup. You were coming over and say, please infect me with COVID. Can I kiss you on the lips? Can What can I do to get COVID? Because I've got a trip I need to do in three months and my my six month immunity window expired, you know? Yeah, which was a crazy thing, which actually today, because I got COVID before I, had the opportunity to get the vaccine. So easy choice after that, because I didn't believe where they said no natural immunity won't be as good. That story, that Kool-Aid, they couldn't sell to me. That's when I said, no, I, I'm done listening to anybody that tries to sell that because that's more or less impossible because it's never happened before. And it's never happened before. And we don't have a long-term study. I'm going to wait for the long-term study. And then I'm going to make my decision after the long-term study. And of course, today, that's history. Uh, not the point of being right or wrong in anything like this. But we got to use our critical thinking. And I want to stop with COVID now. I know I'm hanging, letting everyone hanging without a conclusion on COVID. I think that's good because... There will never maybe be a conclusion on this in the families and the people that discuss it. But in 2009, me and you had a discussion on stage at the Mastermind event. We were a panel of about eight people, nine people. And I was the one on the panel that was the, we need to get this profession from a recruit, recruit, recruit model to a customer first model. And then you stood up and you walked around on the stage and you came over to me and you said, you just do that because you got to deal with authorities, you know, and your ownership of the company. We that are in the field just want to be free and build. Yes, yes. But you're not teaching that anymore. Yes, so I know you wanted to move on from COVID, but I want to put a bow on something on the critical thinking aspect of it, because if I look back and say, okay, what was my error in thinking? Because where we're at and, you know, you all can blow me up in the comments on this if you want. You know, I've come to the conclusion there are there's a lot of people with bad teeth. Systemic bad breath. Um, bad acne, or they don't feel they're attracted, or they hate to, they live in Miami where everybody's Latino and we kiss each other, and we greet each other, and they hate that. And so they want to wear a mask for the rest of their life. And <laughs> they will keep searching for any study anywhere that said a mask cures, prevents against something. Um, what we've seen is masks were not effective in COVID. What we've seen is that N95 masks protect the wearer. They have a very high level of accuracy protecting the person who's wearing it, not from spreading it, but from getting different things like airborne viruses like COVID. Um, the vaccines have had very spotty results and there's a lot of results now that show for kids, for younger people. There were a, a lot of studies with the, you know, the rapid heartbeat yeah. um, and that it's really probably the, the, the 
rational people would say the science is we should never have been masking and vaccinating those young children. Mm -hmm. And still, like I say, there's people like me that we should have been vaccinated. But my error in critical judgment, I think, was I allowed my emotion of um, I have just a visceral dislike of Donald Trump. I feel he's a grifter, a palanderer, a con man. I just, I felt like he besmirched the office of the president of the United States of America. He had, you know, he was selling black beans and rice from the resolute desk in the Oval Office because, you know, he was putting out a, a, a post on Twitter because there was a uh, Goya, which is a, a Cuban company here that, you know, they were getting the the liberals were getting on them for something so he puts a bunch of goya products on his desk and sends out a tweet about it and i'm like this is the the desk that every american president you're selling black beans and rice on it for to to own the libs you know i felt it was a disgrace to the office so i so because i have this which i own you could say well Randy, you got Trump derangement syndrome. Okay, I'll own that. I do. I just feel like he is a, you know, the his behavior, I feel, is despicable. And I want to separate the behavior from the person. We can say this person's behavior is reprehensible or despicable. And this doesn't mean I'm a flaming liberal, which everybody's going to assume that, oh, yeah, and I, he must like Bernie Sanders and the socialist. No, I just I have this visceral uh, reaction to Donald Trump. And because he was saying some of these stupid things like bleach and ultraviolet light and stuff, I just took that anything that was off the narrative, which is maybe masks don't work. Maybe these vaccines should be tested further. Maybe locking down borders doesn't really work. And as soon as you open them, everybody doesn't because the birds and the live crop gets it. I mean, I think there was a testing study in Norway where they showed how much of the wild animal life that had COVID, you know, you can't lock it down with locking down the humans when it's running in all kinds of species. And even on an island, New Zealand, they locked it. Literally, if you were a New Zealand citizen and you were out of the country on vacation, when they're locked down, you couldn't. So they had people who couldn't go home for two years. They're just sitting in a country. They can't go to work. They're not making any money. They have no means of support. And the companies just countries just saying, no, you're not allowed back. And the minute they open up the border, like th within a day, the flight that was bringing back missionaries, 37 came back with the virus. The next day, there was 125. The next day, there was 2,000. worse than that, they had a ship from the English army where everyone was quarantined for three weeks and tested before they went on the ship. And 40 days into the journey, people started getting COVID. So, and it wasn't because first they thought the incubation time is longer, but it is that the virus spreads not only from human to human, but it spreads in many different ways. So you can pick it up and from many different sources. And that's why it was impossible to close down the world 
to avoid the pandemic, you can only delay it in certain parts by doing those kind of things. But my key point with this was that you were able to have those original viewpoints and be proud today to have new viewpoints. Yeah, and because I can, yeah, because I can look back because I'm always doing that and say, okay, what was my thinking process at that time? What is the mistake I made in cognitive function, in comprehension, in critical thinking, in lateral thinking, in linear thinking? And to me, I say, okay, you're way too smart to do something so stupid as to let your emotions about this individual cloud the other information because and that would be the other you know one of my favorite questions of people is always hey what have you really changed your mind on something big in the last year or two and for me it's like I cannot believe how incompetent governments and the scientific and medical community handled the COVID crisis and I I get I, I give them a pass, whether it's Anthony Fauci, Donald Trump, anybody. I give them the pass because this was something we never, it was like Ebola. Okay, when there was Ebola, you got with some, you died. We didn't know, was this airborne? Was this blood-based? You know, how did it, we didn't know any of that at the start. We just knew people were dropping dead on the streets and Personally, I think when China locked down, the reason they locked down wasn't because three people died. It's probably because 30,000 people died and they were lying about it because they didn't want the World Health Organization to investigate and find out that maybe they created it in this lab by mistake and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or even if they even if it came from the wet market, it's like we don't want people to think it comes from here because it's going to kill our economy and we're going to lose trillions of dollars, right? So I had to be a better critical thinker about that. So what was the, you 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 brought up yeah. something else. Oh, yeah, yeah. the customer so, so, thing. Yeah, the customer. Yeah, customers. So because critical thinking is such an important thing of creating a career as a leader. And uh, in my position, that is like, I get dealt facts all the time. I get dealt different issues all the time, and I got to make quick decisions. And sometimes I got to make slow decisions. And I got to use my critical thinking. And obviously, I've got a conclusion coming on the critical thinking in a little while, but I just want to discuss this. So so from, from being like uh, that discussion that we had on stage in 2009, to know teaching something different, how do you how do you bridge that process? How do you get from one position to another one and being able to represent the before and the after? Yeah, so the customer um, uh, customer consultant ratio, how I evolved on this subject is an interesting trajectory. Because as you said, I remember, I had forgotten about that panel, but I remember my reaction after you were talking about it, because my whole thing was, well, of, you know, and basically I'm saying, well, of course he's saying that. He owns a company. He needs the regulators. They're going to look at this videotape. And he's on record saying everybody should have lots of customers. But I don't own a company. So let me tell you the truth. 
I make $125,000 a month because I recruit a lot of people and I make, you know, $1,000 a month from my retail customers. So why in the world would I not focus everything on getting more consultants? And the answer is two things, I think. One is the regulatory environment changed. And you could no longer get away with that. It changed in the United States, France, Great Britain, Germany, uh, most of the European countries, they take their lead from the FDA in the United States, the FTC in the United States, the 50s attorneys generals in the United States. What happens here goes next to Europe, then Asia follows. The last one coming up on the, in the bottom is LATAM but it goes around the world. Network marketing started in the US. This is still the nexus of it, the brain trust of it. So the regulatory situation, same thing. Well, I saw the regulatory environment change and said, okay, I have to change because the advice I'm giving my team, forget what I'm saying in my books and seminar, just my own team. I got to make, you know, my, the books only work if it's what I'm doing in my team, my personal experience. And my personal experience is, shit, you know, these regulators are not messing around. And now every time you do a meeting, everybody in that meeting has a cell phone. So you have to assume every time I make a presentation today, whether it's on Zoom or in person, I assume in the front row, is a representative from the Attorney General's office, a representative from the Federal Trade Commission, a representative from the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. And I just assume, because even if they're not in the room, somebody is live streaming it on Facebook or somebody's recording it. And if you look at the like the lawsuits, you know, when the government would come in, like when they went against Herbalife, when they went against Vima, they'd say, when they went to the judge, hey, here's a video we took two years ago at the uh, Scottsdale JW Marriott. And here is the CEO of the company saying, hey, don't worry about the customers. Buy, you know, sell these big business building kits. That's where the money is. And I would have been the guy who's always saying that. So I started experimenting with, okay, I need to modify my strategy and I've got to become more consumer centric. And by the way, needs to be said, I was watching what you guys were doing in Scandinavia and I was seeing your results and a few other direct selling or party plan companies that were really more customer focused. I was seeing their results. So as I modified my behavior, which whatever you do is what's going to duplicate with your team. So as I modified my customer-centric ratio, my team duplicated that. And all of a sudden, I realized, wait a minute, the dynamics really change because when I have 17 customers instead of three customers, my PV circle, which is what I would call the or PV, SV, whatever your company calls it, you know, the point value circle, which I consider you, your personal consumption, everybody you retail to, and any of your auto ship customers. 
I realized, wow, my PV circle, instead of being 200 points, is 800 points. And now those 11 people on my front line, their PV circle, instead of being 176 points, is 592 points or whatever. And then the third level, and, the, and then all of a sudden I could realize, no, if I'm making 100 grand, it's not 99,000 from builders and 1,000 from uh, retailers. It's, holy shit, 70,000 of that is coming because everybody in the team has these bigger PV circles. And so, you know, you, you have to, the, the critical thing, the, the element of critical thinking that's required is to get your two things. One is get your ego out of the way. And two is kill the identity, which created the ego. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the Radical Rebirth book, I talk about a volunteer lobotomy. Once you, once you create an identity for yourself, you have to defend that identity. So if you call yourself a Democratic or a Republican, a builder or a retailer, a BMW owner or a Christian, a vegan or a anarchist, Whatever that label is, once you assign that label to yourself, then you have to defend it. So if if you, you know, even when it's a good label, a Christian, a, a most devout Muslim, a devout Jew, a, a, a charitable volunteer, you know, once you have that identity. So if, if, you know, my identity was I was the Viper guy. Here's the guy with nine, 10 Vipers and exotic sports cars. And he makes lots of money and he spends money like a drunken sailor. And he's after builders. And, you know, when I did that sabbatical, that was huge for me. And I just said, you know, I don't want to be the Viper guy anymore. I do not want to be defined by how many exotic cars I own. I don't want to, you know, I want to follow the Mark Andreessen philosophy of strong opinions loosely held so being willing to hey based on this information i have right now this is the opinion i've developed on that but if you're going to show me evidence that that opinion needs to change I'm all in on changing now that's and part of that is just maturity i'm an older guy now and more mature yeah, and part of it is that, but I also do find that like coming out of the COVID, some people have a stronger willingness to defend their viewpoint after the facts told them wrong than even when there wasn't any facts around. So they very because that's their identity. Yeah, that is their right. identity. Correct. I wear I wear two masks, even when I'm a driving alone in my car, because I care about you. Yeah, and and that that's the craziest scene is like the masked person alone uh, in the car, or even worse, on a bicycle outside. A motorcycle <laughs> outside. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like there there is no way you can pick up COVID that way, and there was never a way that way. But 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 that's where. I, so so uh, one more thing, and then then I'm gonna or two more things actually because I remember us having. 
a debate like 20 plus years ago, because I come from Norway. And in Norway, we have had a social security system that has been free from before I was born. So when I got born, it was free to go and give birth. When I went to kinder, I think back then, even kindergarten might have been free. It's not completely free, it's subsidized now. And then schooling, of course, all of that is free. And if, if I go to the doctor, we pay a nominal fee. But I mean, surgery is free. Uh, university is free. I got to pay. They're a little bit mad that they only get like 1500 euros a month as a salary when they're a student to go to college, uh, which is free. Uh, you know, so I, so I come from that universe and I'm, uh, I would define myself as a right leaning moderate politically. But when I meet Randy, that maybe today could be called a left-leaning moderate. If I gave you that uh, tagline, maybe you don't completely agree. But back when I met you, you were prosperity thinking. You said, well, I, I'm even questioning if it's right to have insurance. Is that a prosperity mindset? And then, I mean, I was for these kind of things in society built in the right way. It has to be built in the right way. Otherwise, society just go bankrupt. So, I, so I'm not on, on like that political side where I think that we're not going to take care of people and everyone have to make their own way and so on. But then at the same time, when I see some of the craziness on the opposite side of Donald Trump from the politics... I'm wondering, how are they going to pay for this? Because they will run up the bill for what they're borrowing that is so high so quickly that in the end it can never be paid back, which is maybe one of the most scary things that we can come through. But you came from that where I was saying, Randy, but you got to listen to me. Society can work where stuff like this is built in a different way through the tax codes and so on. And in the end, U.S. and Europe pay, or Norway pay about the same. It's not that much different in one we, what we pay in the end when life is lived true, because some pay insurance and some pay taxes. And I don't want to have a political debate about it. That's not my point. But you were able to pivot that viewpoint. And then when cryptos came out, uh, you were in love with it, kind of. I was skeptical like crazy. And today I think that I like it maybe more than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're able to change the viewpoint. And I've been able to change my viewpoint where I'm today more skeptical towards all the free stuff than what I was when we first met. For my yeah. own country's good and sake and going forward, when oil production one day will be ending, which is our main well, source of income in this that's, country. That's the wild card there that people don't take into account. Norway has one of the biggest reserves of oil in the world. And so you have this multi-hundreds of billions, maybe it's even trillion-dollar investment fund that correct but sweden and denmark this. don't have that and we have the same kind of services and if i move to denmark 
for me, because of our trade union, college is still free in Denmark for me. I don't have to pay in Denmark. Hospital is still free in Sweden for me uh, because we have those unions that makes us being able to operate on the same levels, which is, which is very interesting. But my point was that you come from one side, I come from another side. And then the process of getting to often, I've noticed that we land somewhere over time Nearly the same with some tweaks here and there. I definitely don't agree with everything Randy is saying, just for the record. <laughs> and Randy doesn't agree with everything that I'm saying for the record. That, but this isn't going to prevent us from being savaged in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I 100% I, I, I know that. But it is because critical thinking is not being able to criticize the sitting president or criticize the former president or criticize or former president that is now the head of NATO. That's not critical thinking. Critical thinking is when you listen to someone and you agree with them, are you able to criticize your agreement? And when you listen to someone and you disagree with them, are you able to criticize your disagreement? So it's always about what's happening internally in you. Are you able to take this and look at it from different angles, take into, into account new facts appearing rapidly all the time, new information from other people appearing rapidly all the time, and then say, when I really want to agree, maybe I should critically go through this and say that it's not just programming from my childhood. It's, I, I just don't agree with the social security that is no proposed because I grew up in Norway. I got to critically think what's the consequence here at this place. And I find this to be the trait of a lot of top leaders across all businesses, that this is why they make it to the top because they're able to rapidly think and change their behavior based on new information and they evolve into a better version of themselves as they do that. 100%. The, what was beneficial to me was uh, somewhere along the line of my self-development journey, I started getting exposed to scientists, which wouldn't normally happen for a guy from Madison, Wisconsin, who was expelled from high school, right? That would, that's not the circles that I, you know, those aren't the dinner parties that I'm getting invited to. And I'm not getting invited into academia because I'm a dropout. But because of podcasts, because of books, so I start to meet, study scientists and people who like Balaji Srivanasam, who I mentioned earlier, Naval Ravankant, who he wouldn't really be a science. He's not a scientist, but he thinks like a scientist. And so I read books from Christopher Hitchens and Michael Shermer and um, uh, Richard Dawson, who are, you know, extraordinary levels of critical thinking. 
um, Ray, the guy from Google, the AI guy, Ray. Oh, it'll come to me. Um, who studies artificial intelligence and the singularity. Somebody write it in the comments, please. Um, and the whole point of the scientific model is you create this hypothesis and then you try to destroy it. So you say, um, wet every time the streets are wet, it's raining. So wet streets must cause it to rain. That's my hypothesis. Let me go prove it. Let me let me go disprove it. And then I was well, wait a no. I did a study and I found out that the street was dry. And then the rain started coming down from the clouds and it made the street wet. So it has disproved my hypothesis that wet streets cause rain. That's the model of science. So once I started studying scientists, I started to hone my critical thinking and say, and get within Dreesen in this, okay, strong opinions loosely held. And funny, now we're recording this March 7th, 2023, for anybody who's watching whenever in the future. So Mark Andreessen, for those who don't know, he's kind of the father of the internet. He was the founder of Netscape and you know bringing the internet into mass acceptance. And he, he and Ben Horowitz own Andreessen Horowitz, which is the one of the pinnacle venture capital companies out in Silicon Valley. So Mark just started blogging again about five days ago, and he's been blogging every day. And so yesterday, I believe, or the day before, he wrote a, a delicious post about polarization. And he quoted my North Star, Christopher Hitchens, and one of his books. And he shared a conversation about you know, somebody meeting Hitchens at a party and um, they were talking about the polarization in the world. Like right now, the United States is so polarized. The right and the left, it's just crazy. UK is same. Um, Mexico is a hot mess right Every now. Every country is like that today. Okay. So yeah, I see it a lot of places. And so anyway, somebody was chatting with him at a dinner or a party or something and he said, oh, I'm really encouraged because the polarization seems to be getting stronger. Mm -hmm. Like, what? You're, you're encouraged? So Andreessen was writing about that yesterday. And so the way Hitchens saw it is as a scientist, which is you have to have that polarization because that's the only way that ideas get tested. That's the only way hypotheses get proven or disproven. When somebody comes, you know, and they think they're giving me a compliment, they come up to me after a speech and they say, I agree with everything you said today. And I smile and I thank them. But in my heart of hearts, I say, well, I didn't really do my job today because I didn't cause this person to think. They just, they came in with a perspective and a viewpoint of the world. They left with the same exact viewpoint and perspective. I kind of stole their money because there's really no reason for them to pay me to come to this event. Um, that's what I think we've, and, and you know, you, you talk about great leaders. I think 
you're on to that. You know, you're on to something there because if you've been around as long as I have and you saw the, the, the business go from cassette tapes to, you know, fax machines to CDs to DVDs to mobile apps to replicated website to social media, um, the different regulatory environments to customer versus consultant ratios. Um, man, if you're not gonna, I mean, that's kind of the fight that I'm fighting now with a lot of companies um, where they're bringing me in and I have to go in the room of leaders and say, guys, the internet fad is not going to blow over. Guys, you, I know you built a team of 40,000 people when you handed out all those dead doctors don't lie cassette tapes in 1975, <laughs> but that shit doesn't work anymore. Um, we've got to, you know, and I, and I do see really positive signs of that because I think we have so many um, younger millennial generations who are doing really well in the business. You, by the way, you were a pioneer in that because I feel when you brought me over there, you had one of the youngest convention halls that I had spoken to. And, you know, I have spoke to Amway, Herbal Life, New Skin, Old Skin, In Between Skin, Manitech, Sunrider, Shackley, uh, Natura, Immunitech fusion everybody right but i felt when you first started bringing me over you guys your your demographic and your in your audience was 15 years younger than anybody else i was speaking to at that time we we were in our mid-20s young 20s mid-20s we'd fill an arena with 6,000 people and probably average age would be below 30 at that point when we did that. So it was For very sure. powerful. Below and we're going to recreate that as we speak. So that's one of the things that we have on our agenda is to recreate the young generation movement. Somebody should add it to the beginning of this, that if you just wait one hour and 42 minutes, you're going to be able to get some real good nuts and bolts <laughs> on how to build your network marketing or your leverage sales business. Uh, because uh, like that that's our passion at core is to build this business in the field. And it's what, why I wanted to take this entire detour when we have a couple of hours to talk about what makes us great at doing what we do, I, I believe that comes down to the very fact that many things are, are very often when you're hold back, okay, on the basic levels, it would be lack of skills. Okay, so you just don't have the skills, but those skills are so easily trained in our profession. Then on the intermediate level, you haven't practiced your skills enough time. So you don't have all your people skills down because you haven't met enough people. You don't have your speaking skills down because you haven't done enough presentations. You can't answer the pyramid question because you haven't answered it enough times or in front of groups, you get nervous and so on. But then when you get to the higher levels of our professions, you're now making let's say 10,000, 
15,000, $20,000, euros a month. You, you're mastering those two first things at a decent enough level to create an amazing paycheck. But I find that so many people stop at that level. They don't continue on to 40 and to like, because duplication, if I had my board behind me now, I draw it up and I put a circle and I put you in it. And then we recruit two, then they recruit two, then they recruit two, then everyone gets 25 customers. It goes 20 levels down and we've got millions of people in organization and you're way beyond that level. So something happens of, we could call it self-sabotage in the middle of this journey. Uh, I, I, and I've called it self-sabotage many times because if you're at 20,000 a month, and what you need to do to get to 40,000 a month is to add two or three more levels in your organization in depth. Or you're at 20,000 a month and what you need to do to get 40,000 a month is to add one more line from scratch to build that to the same volume that you have in your two existing lines already then you're doing something. If you can't do that, there is something happening. And I am of the belief that it's the lack of critical thinking that makes that happen because you get so many things that you like and you keep on just doing the things that you like and you're not able to course correct to do things that maybe needs to be included in that next phase of the journey. We could also call it self-sabotage, but it's the thinking power to being able to say, okay, I've done this. I built, I built, and our basic position is that you build one person that has four customers and an A and a B below them. We call that silver. That's the basic position. If you've built that once and you've built that a second time, you built that a third time and built that a fourth time, you can, in or a compensation plan, by driving depth below them, go to 100, 200, 300,000 a month, you know, if you just keep on developing. So what's your take on what stops people after they master those two first levels, then they get to that third level and something happens? I think it's not the critical thinking um, because if it was the critical thinking, that would be so easy to correct because you can just do the rational, logical, analytical breakdown that you just did. Hey, take our comp plan. You got one spot, you get four customers. Now you put two people on your first level. They each get four customers. You're at this. They replicate the process. So you could take it down and show 20,000 a month, 40,000 a month, 80,000 a month. People aren't rational, logical, analytical. So it's not the critical thinking, I think. It's um, three possibilities, I think, and I don't know which percent is which, um, but you are right, I believe, about the self-sabotage part. But I don't think the self-sabotage comes from the inability to critical think I think it's, so here's three possibilities that come to mind for me. Possibility number one is, it's just a bad comp plan. Because sometimes the, 
And and for anyone who's interested, go in and and watch the the chop it up I did with Daniel K Song. We I went into weeds on comp plan like at a level like nobody ever talks about, right? So the comp plan you have this career path. So you know bronze, silver, gold, whatever. Each that next level in the career path has to be challenging enough to get people off their ass but it also has to be compelling enough that they believe it's doable. And sometimes plans are just built that the, because the, like you just said, the, the logic is there. Okay, I'm making 22,000 euros a month as a uh, silver. If I get two more lines, I make 45,000 a month as a gold. Well, of course I'm gonna get two more lines. But if the two more lines are two lines of 500,000 points each, you'd say, well, I can't do that this month. I can't do that in 60 days. I can't do that in 90 days. That's going to take me 11 months or two years. So they don't have that motivation to go to work on that rank advancement this month. It has to be believable enough and achievable enough in a, a finite time period that they decide to go to work this month. So as soon as they're at silver, they still are motivated to keep that progress to gold, the next rank, because it seems doable in the, the window, the time frame window that they're thinking. Second possibility, this is where the, the self-sabotage comes in, is they just, they have not expanded their vision. They just, there are people that cannot see themselves making 45,000 euros a month. That, that, that's, you know, the, I call it movie star money. There's some point where an income becomes movie star money, not real people money like our our goal is getting people you know like in my prosperity work my Pro power prosperity podcast i'm always trying to get people to expand the window through which you see the world and you've heard the story a million times me talking about my prada sneakers and then my testoni shoes and flying to london on the concord to get ten thousand dollar shoes you know, I was expanding this window that I saw the world through. Um, but, you know, Elon Musk has a really different window than I do. When he makes a joke and says, you know, I paid $44 billion for the world's biggest nonprofit corporation. You know, <laughs> that's a bigger window. He lost like $200 billion in a week. And it didn't change his standard of living. I, I, I just point in one time. That worst week of Tesla, he was happy out fundraising $17 billion for SpaceX in yeah. New Council. It, it didn't affect him whatsoever. I, I was so fascinated. Like, like in your worst week ever, like <laughs> you have the Twitter thing going on, your Tesla crashing, like don't like crazy. And you're over there talking to another investor about SpaceX and you just need 17 billion yeah. and you get the money locked. I think he locked it up in three hours or something like that, like a ridiculously short 
period of time. Yeah, because of that window, that perspective he sees the world with, right? So that isn't movie star money to him. Come on, he was at PayPal. He walked away a billionaire. So billions dollars doesn't scare him. That doesn't seem unachievable. It's not a big deal to send a text to Andreessen and say, hey, do you want to, I'm taking Twitter private. You want to come in? And Andreessen says, how much? And he says, eh, you know, either a billion or two. That's a different window, right? So there are people that don't see that window big enough. And that's where the self-sabotage come in. And it could be that there's a lot of people who, and I'm writing about this, I'm working on my new book, which is a, another prosperity book. And you know, there are people who sabotage themselves because they out earn their parents and they feel guilty about it on a subconscious level. And they don't even know it's there. But it's like, if your father worked on the assembly line at Toyota in Tennessee, building cars all, you know, and the most money he ever made in his life was $51,000 a year. And now you're making $15,000 a month in direct selling. Some people feel like that's insulting their father, you know, that, you know, it's too easy for them. And then the third um, possibility is, I think, I hate to say laziness, um, but it's it's probably laziness or a form of it, meaning they're just not hungry anymore. If like I, I just stopped working with a company, the contract just ended recently, and they've got a, a, a bunch of old school distributors who um, are working and making more money than they've ever made in their life. And they're living in countries where that money, you know, if you make, don't get me wrong, if you make $20,000 a month in the United States, you're freaking killing it. Okay, there's not many people make $20,000 a month in the real world. There's just not. But you're, you're not, you know, a king, you're not Elon, you're not Bezos. But if you make $20,000 a month in the Dominican Republic, in Colombia, in Mexico, you are literally living as royalty in that country and the many other ones around the world. And so like that was the issue I had working with the team, the field leaders in that company is that's more money than they ever made in their life. They're living like a king. So I can't even, they don't even know what I'm talking about when I say, you know, instead of 20 grand a month, you could be doing 50 grand a month, 100 grand a month. They're like, why would I? I've got these gorgeous clothes. I have these gorgeous cars. I love a beautiful home. I'm on stage. I'm idolized by my team. I just go and I do my same PowerPoint that I've been doing for the last 10 years. And I show my old beat up car. And now I show my new car and I show the cramped little one bedroom apartment that I started out in. And now I show my palatial home in this beautiful gated neighborhood with security guards. And you want me to go back and start recruiting new people again and get in my car and drive to other towns and be back in the trenches doing home meetings and 
risking rejection and why would I do that? My life is amazing right now. And unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, everybody has the right to do that, right? We promise that in the business that, hey, we're going to give you a drink out of the coconut money. And if you're happy with $10,000 a month and that's drink out of the coconut money for you, you've earned that. You've built your walkaway residual income. And that's the case where, again, I think it, it'll usually go back to the comp plan where if it's designed if the career path is is set up in the right increments they just say okay i'm really comfortable i'm making more money than i ever thought i would make in my life but god if i just got one more line and i could do that in 90 days i i could build out one more line in 90 days and i could go from 20 grand a month to 45,000 a month that would get them off their ass. So I go I ahead. do think that it is and has to do with uh, the critical thinking. So I'll argue my 15 minutes now back on this subject. <laughs> Everything that Randy was saying is correct. So there's nothing incorrect in this. So I agree on every statement made here and the one, two, and three, they all influence it. But here, here is what I experienced from real life, being top leader from I was 21 years old, went full-time, made 10 grand a month in second or third month, and then built up from there and have been a million euro a year earner or higher for most of my years since I was 25 years old. And I mean, we're living our best, most prosperous days today, and we're hungry to go to the next levels. Can't wait to be a real size company. Uh, that'd be so exciting where we, where we really do the things that we do. But And you really are hungry. You're, you know, when I say you got to people, there's some people, they're just not hungry. They're in their comfort zone. That's not you. You, I, you know, I know you well enough and long enough to know that you still have that driving hunger. Yeah. And, and this is what I notice with leaders on the team a lot of the times inside of our team, especially your own team, because that's who I get to watch the closest. But whenever I go to a generic conference and I hang out with people that are doing other companies, I find that the same viruses are mongering among them, same problems they're dealing with. And here is typically, and, and I'll, 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 I'll post the question first, uh, why do I think this way? So when you end up in a conversation where there is a bunch of top leaders around the table and one of them say, well, I don't think it's so important anymore to recruit 10 people or 12 people a year or 24 people a year or five people a year, whatever the culture for recruiting is inside of the team. I just don't think that that's my role as a leader. And then somebody is sitting there and they like that message. And they buy into the message. Oh, I love this guy. I should have him come and teach my team because what he told me, 
I really like this because I don't have to challenge myself every day. I don't need to do Orient's three meetings with partner prospect every day, five days a week. I get freedom. I can go and live on the beach. I can drink out of a coconut like Randy Gage did in his old albums, you know, have beach money, like, <laughs> you know, and, and they buy into it. And there is no critical voice saying, why do I like this? So that you could alter your thoughts and say, okay, I got to think through this because is this really what I like or is there something else that I would rather have than the consequence of that thing that I just bought into? And then you have the other set. And that is that you go on and you go on kind of like a what should I call it, a 90-day run, and then you go on the next 90-day run, you travel from one city to the next city, and you build a team, and you go from one Zoom meeting to the next Zoom meeting, and then you're not progressing. So the rank advancement that maybe the designer of the comp plan meant was about a six-month journey, uh, in the team culture, they've made that a two-year journey because they're so busy with so many meetings that they have, and they never come to the question where they say, why do I do it this way? And they don't think through, why do I do it? Do I do it because I'm playing to some other feeling? Like, I, do I do it because I want to be a superhero? Do I do it because I want to get away from the recruiting that we had the discussion with a little bit earlier? So I can defend myself just bringing in three prospects a year. If I'm going to four meetings every month, if I'm gone every Sunday from my kids, I can definitely defend that I'm not recruiting between Monday and Friday because I need to go to baseball with my kid on Tuesday instead of having a critical thought saying, why do I like this? Why do I not, why do I like this more than what's on, and I have my dream board right up here, than the things that are on my dream board? Why do I like this more than the goal of making 50,000 euros a month, which would trigger if they adapted a form of critical thinking about how do I achieve the things that I really want in life instead of achieve the medium of the culture that I'm hanging out in. Yeah, I think the critical thinking element, the, the, the breakdown in the thought process that you're referring to is when they are sitting at that meeting with the sponsorship line and that person says, yeah, I have my dream. Why would I want to go out and recruit 10 people every month or year or whatever? Because I've got this, the breakdown of the critical thinking process is the guy or gal sitting at the table hasn't made the connection, but wait, she's already making 35,000 a month. I'm only making $3,500 a month. So she may be, you know, he or she is at a much higher level of income and lifestyle than I am. So I should not apply their decision-making process where they are now to my decision-making process where I am now. True. And then the person making the statement, I mean, if they sit into a coaching with you, they won't be saying that, hey, I'm happy beyond belief on my 35000 
euros a month, most of the time, they've got some other goals, but they adapted a thinking from somewhere, either from programming that they had from before, they heard it from someone else. I had this, I, I had this wonderful couple uh, in my team, and I got to be very uh, careful with how I reveal the information. Otherwise, other people can spot who the couple was. <laughs> but shortly said, I heard, heard a couple of talks, and the talks was about how many days that they did not work that month, and they still collected a check. Now, you can put two and two together, and uh, you would probably guess that their check is down from when they did that talk and not up from where they did a talk because they took uh, information that they got somewhere from some guru on the internet. Mm -hmm. And they, they didn't have the critical thinking to say, why are they saying these things? And they didn't connect it to that it's easier to sell people on a $500 course or a $5,000 course if I tell people a lot of things that are scratching them behind the ear versus if I tell them the real truth and nothing but the truth. It's like, that's why chopping it up might not get the big contract with Spotify because <laughs> we're not putting too much uh, scratch behind the ears, you know, but maybe right. gotta go do some of those episodes later. Or maybe there is a market developed for this kind of hard talks again, chopping it up talks again. And then they come back and then they get the feedback from their team, which is saying, that is so exciting. I want to go and do that too. And even there, the critical thinking doesn't kick in and say, okay, if they're doing what I'm doing, how many new people is then coming into my team, which should be an immediate signal, you know, because you see, they're copying me. I got to change my behavior. But this is what I see is sabotaging the journey of my leaders more than that they lost their dream or didn't want to go to 50,000 or did become lazy. They do a lot of things along the journey that is not thought true and it's hard to correct after they pronounced it because a lot of people, when they bought into the mask, they kept wearing the mask. When they bought into the vaccines, they kept taking and promoting the vaccines. When they bought into cryptocurrencies, they kept on promoting cryptocurrencies at all costs. And when they bought into recruit recruit model, I, I still meet with people that think it's legal to build a company with only internal consumption in the United States of America. They haven't read the lawsuits. They haven't looked at the memos from the FTC. They haven't looked at any of that. And they think it's legal in my country after we shut down 12, 13 companies and Supreme Court shut down every single one that spent the money to go to Supreme Court in Norway. They still mm -hmm. believe it because they don't have the ability to say, why do I like this? Is it serving me? Will it take it to my goals? And then changing based on getting new information, which is one of the reasons why I always like bringing you in, because from the last time, you've adapted, you've gotten new information there, you've learned new things, and you're not teaching the same. It's not like there is a radical involvement from each time, but there is an adjustment that works better 
that will take you to your goals and help my people take them to their goals. Yeah, and if you remember, we talked in the green room. We actually talked before as I'm doing my pre-event research. And I came there with the mission of, hey, you guys in this room, you have crushed it with the customer uh, equation. Now we got to get you a little more back in the bring in some builder equation because there, you know, it's, you've got to, this is the thing people need to understand is you got every company, there's an optimal ratio of customers and consultants. Some company, you know, if you take Wes Linden, who's a dear friend of both of us. So he's in a utility company. So every person in the, in his country uses his services. I think he can have a higher customer ratio than a company that does cosmetics because very few men use cosmetics. So if I'm a cosmetic company, I might lose 40% of the market are never going to be my customers, right? Or even nutritional companies. There's a certain percentage of people, they're going to eat Cheetos, Fritos, and Doritos, cake, cookies, pastry, apple pie, and you know whatever and they're never going to take a vitamin they're never going to take a protein shake they're never going to take a nutritional supplement until they're in the hospital at 45 and the doctor says we're going to need to amputate your leg because your diabetes is so bad and you're probably 10 minutes away one steak dinner away from your first heart attack you know and then they might change right so Every customer, every company, I think, has a ratio, and it's up to that team. And it can't come from the company. It has to come from the field leaders. They have to develop what is that right ratio. Because the thing I tell people all the time that shocks them, and they shouldn't shock them, is you can't retail your way to the top of the comp plan. And you can't sponsor your way to the top of the comp plan. You have to duplicate your way to the top of the comp plan. And that means finding that right ratio of customers and builders. Because, you know, if you just, if you are, because like literally one of the ladies at your event came to me after my talk and she said, I just want you to know, I don't agree with what you said. Because I literally have 1,000 customers. And I said, wow, that's wonderful. And how many of your team also has 1,000 customers? <laughs> and she is, okay, no, I guess I don't have anyone on my team who also has 1,000 customers. So I you know, try to tell her in a loving way, listen, you have this gift. You're a freak of nature. There are people can do that. You know, I had a guy call me for consulting, a company out of Utah, and he's got a guy on TikTok who's sponsoring 40,000 people a month. And he's like, we got to kill it. And I'm like, you're so, you have no idea how bad that's going to collapse on you. If you think that that is going to translate and that is going to duplicate and that's going to put your company on the map, I can't even help you. You need to go back to the crack pipe and keep smoking because you will never. And so it's been it's been a year now. And of course, they're collapsed. 
because it there's no way that was duplicable. But we all know that radio personality or that Instagram influencer with 8 million followers who really could sponsor a thousand customers. But that's not going to, you know, that'll get you to the top of the comp plan for a couple of months, but it won't keep you at the top of the plan because nobody's going to be able to do that. And, you know, we've got to show people we got to be in this for the long term. And it's like the companies, you know, there's bottle rocket companies right now that are skyrocketing up the chart, right? They're adding a thousand distributors a day in this country and 2000 distributors a day in that country. And they're, and they're going to have a two-year run because you can always have a two-year run, whether it's the fiber cookie, the travel agent website deal, the blue laundry ball deal, the magic pill that you I put in the gas tank. Travel cookie paid in cryptos. That is like... <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, they're, they're going to have a brilliant two years and everybody's going to say, catch the wave. You know, call your people before yeah. they call you. You better jump over to this hot new deal. We're growing at 27,417% per month. We're the fastest growing network marketing company in the world, percentage-wise. You got to get your down. We have the downline building system. It's automated. You put up a Facebook profile. You sit home in your Chewbacca pajamas, and it builds your group for you. And you'll have a two-year run. And, you know, you're going to make everybody look stupid for two years, and you're going to look like a genius. And then you will be desperately looking for, you know, you'll be one of those MLM zombies that I talk about in my book that are, you know, ambling around looking for the next hot deal that they can find somebody and suck the brains out of their head. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and that's um, some very valid, valid points. Uh, I, I think that just back to what you said, you came with some advice to us because you noticed recruiting was probably at the lower point which what it should be from the size of the organization. We had discussions and we put that into action. We had it on our table before you came in too. So you kind of stated the obvious, but a lot of people as we are adjusting has this resistance to that change, even though the change will be giving them the dream. They have the resistance to the change because it's not what they like. And people are very good at thinking critically about messages that they get that they dislike. And unfortunately, <laughs> messages right. that you dislike is often the message that is going to take you to the next level. The message that you like is mostly supporting you at the level where you are. So if you just like everything in your life all the time and every input that you get is something you like, most likely you will be on the level where you are. And I and we we created this this group which is creating partner tools group. So inside of our company after developing customer tools for 17 years 
uh, we're going to know in the 18th year, create some partner tools. We need some more partners. We've developed some in the past. You but know, I was beating you up about last year that you got to do that. Yeah, and, and the marketing director, we went through this many times, what was on a marketing plan and partner tools was on the marketing plan for the year all the time because she knew it had to be there. But it was the bottom point. And three meetings in a row, we were sitting there and say, next time we meet, I want that to be the number one, because then we always accomplish number one, you know, on the list. So I'm afraid when it's number six it on the list. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually today, that's number one on the list. And then uh, I two months into this journey, we've been able to adjust recruitment above last year with 59%. But in open markets or prime markets, we're up about 90% on recruiting since last year. And I think in the month of March, with the prime markets, we're going to have so triple, triple digits. So 100% up in revenue, 100% right. up in the numbers, uh, and then 100% up in the kind of kits that we're promoting, which is our ultimate partner kit, which is what we're working for. And then we know that that over time is going to cause the company to grow about 33% this year. If we can be triple digit next year, it's going to give us 50% and triple digit the year after that, we're going to go beyond triple digit in the company and have 100% growth, which is very exciting. And then the year after that, we'll do way over a billion euros if we pull it up. Uh, but what leads us to doing these things is that we don't only say, hey, what we're doing is so great. I like this so much. We say, okay, why do I like what we're doing so much? Is it because it's the best thing that we're doing? Uh, or could there be better things to do with my time if I just put some critical thinking into it? And I think that that's what moves some leaders forward to, from, from being unstuck from all the things that you could get stuck in over all of those years of building a business. Because those old things that work maybe don't work anymore. And those things that you want to be working in your behaviors, maybe they need to change. And I think any change starts with changing your thinking and you will eventually change your feelings. You'll change your actions you'll change your experiences and that will reinforce a new kind of thinking and that will put you on an acceleration path to your dreams. Yeah, love the whole topic. Couple of things jump out in my mind. Um, one is we also have to make sure we know how people define the definitions they use when you say partner tools, because when you say benefit tools, because we have a lot of people in a lot of companies in marketing departments that use those labels, but they don't really understand them. You know, I had a client send me, hey, we got a new video featuring because they've got some Olympic athletes using their product. And they're like, let me send you our new video. Let me know what you think. And they send me the video and it's just dreadful. It's this tinkling piano music, very sleepy elevator music to start, big shot of just their company logo, which seems very sexy to them, but no candidate would care anything about it. And then the whoever did the voiceover is like, 
ABC company has been in business for this many years and we make this many products and we have products that Olympic athletes use and we've got, uh, you know, seven Olympic athletes who use the products and we are sports certified and WADA certified and we're this and we're that and we're, we're and it's like a seven minute video of us, 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 us. And I tell the CEO, I hate this thing like poison. There's, there's no candidate benefit there. This is just you guys beating your chest, talking about what a great company you are. What the video needs to be is you could be using the same nutrition these Olympic gold medal athletes use. If they work for them, imagine what it'll do for you right so we just we have a lot of we have a lot of people in marketing departments that don't have domain expertise in that way um the other thing like when you talk about hey if we could 33 percent, and if we could do that the next year and then we could get to 100 percent growth people need to know this is you know it's like those companies that say we're growing at 67,000 percent a month well, that's true because you did $1,200 your first month and then you did $5,000 for the whole company your second month and then you made $23,000. So yes, percentage-wise, you are the fastest growing network marketing company in the world. But in your case, for you to grow 30%, for you to grow 100%, these are huge numbers because you're starting at a base of really strength. Um, I do say, yeah, 33% this year is more up in volume than what we had 10 years into our journey. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And by the way, for the record, I think, so let's say it's 20% might be because you're opening new markets, so recruiting is stronger, and 20% is the focus of your marketing department. And then I'm assigning 60% is from this program that I did <laughs> last November. I'm taking, <laughs> I'm taking credit for 60% of all the new growth, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> as long as I keep the check, you can take the credit. Fine, <laughs> always been the deal. <laughs> so, you know, one other thing I had on my list for you, I, I, I have myself and the heathen delegation are very well represented on my chopping up series. You, your faith is extremely important to you. And I would love if you shared it, uh, talked about that. Sure, I, I love to. And uh, I'm, I'm an outspoken believer and everyone that knows me knows that I'm a believer. And even people that don't know me will pick up that and sense that th those are strong values for me. Uh, at the same time, uh, one of the things that I often see in, in business development, I mean, you have many different roles, is that people tend to confuse their faith with their business at times where they make the business. And, and yes, if this is your mission in life, I'm not going to stop you from that. Whatever your mission in life is, go ahead, make it your mission in life. But from my perspective, I want to be 
outspoken about my personal viewpoints. I want to be outspoken about my faith. I want to be open with people about my faith. I want to be able to share my faith, but I will always let people have their choice of what they like. So we don't bring that in as an intense part of the business. And I can't either. There is many countries where we operate where that would not be acceptable and I would put my people at risk. So when I speak at or go core series, for instance, I have to watch my language because if I don't watch my language many different ways, both in the hidden way and in too radical Christian way, uh, it's going to be censored in that country or the person that is carrying or app in the country is going to could potentially get into trouble for what we're doing. So there, there is a balance between those two that has always been very important for me. But when somebody asks me, I will always answer. And my, my beliefs and my viewpoints is as strong as they've ever been in all of these things. And for me, that was a journey, again, back to critical thinking before I met Randy Gage, where I said somewhere in my childhood, because I grew up a Christian, I grew up very faith-based, Bible-based Christian, and you learn all of the things through Sunday school, through meetings, through camps, through my parents being uh, very uh, known Christians in my country, my father being the chief editor of a Christian newspaper, my mom serving 37 years in politics for the Christian party of Norway and being probably the one with the most collected media attention in those 37 years. So it's a very open thing. Then somewhere around uh, 15, 16, uh, my faith is very strong but I want to bring myself through the thought experiment. Is everything that I believe the truth? What's the opposite of my faith? Like, like, uh, and here is like, uh, even, even not all Christians dare to believe everything that I believe. And I'm going to bring up like just that topic, you know, where people say, well, from science, you can't say that and so on. But one of the things that fascinated me was, was there creation or was there evolution? And I had to spend, I think, about five years on that subject, reading about it, thinking about it, going through it before I eventually reached my conclusion on it. Not saying that my conclusion on the subject is better than anybody else. It's just my conclusion. And that was that I found evolutionary theory with a big bang as the start so hard to believe. That my conclusion was that it's much easier to believe in a literal time frame that God created it in seven days. It's easier to believe than the evolutionary theory for me. So that's why when people ask me, I say, well, I just choose to believe that because in the other theory, there is so many other things that I have to choose to believe as well. So for me, I make that decision and I stand by that decision until facts appear that would change my decision. Wouldn't change my belief in God, but it would change my belief about the creation if facts changed. And I'm open to having that challenged. And once in a while, I sit down with somebody that challenges me and we debate it for a day or two. And uh, then we go each other's way. And sometimes I pick up something new. 
sometimes I didn't learn anything new from from that that decision. So I can make that decision and stand by that decision, even though it's what they're teaching in the child's Bible. And most theologians have said, well, even if there was intelligent design, it took more than seven days. Well, I don't know then if it took 14 days, 400 days, 4,000 days, 400,000 days, 4 billion days. So I just make a decision on belief and saying that's what I believed happened. That's what's written in the book. I'm easy. I'm simple. I'm going to just say, well, it was creation. We can debate the days. <laughs> so that's kind of my, we can debate the days. I'm not going to say, and, and, and it's very important. He rested on the seventh day. So when you build your empire, if God could create the earth in, in, in seven days and have one full day off, then I think you could build to the peak rank in your company and one full day off every single week for the rest of your life. You don't <laughs> need to burn out on the journey. So I've got some humor in my beliefs around my faith and so on. It doesn't need to be like, I, I think God is a very happy guy that looks down at his creation and thinks that, oh, wow, I did a good job. <laughs> and then, but but some of them, I gave too much free will. I should have given <laughs> that free will a little bit. I, I mean, for me to be loved by the humans, maybe I shouldn't have given, maybe I should have made some more restrictions. When they create that AI, I gave them that idea. I really liked that. Maybe those humans can manage to limit the creativeness of the AI so it doesn't become worse of the humans. And uh, <laughs> then they have a party and enjoy their life. <laughs> So fascinating development. Um, talk about new evidence and changing your mind. I am a devout believer in the Big Bang Theory. And maybe two weeks ago, this new telescope, which is now operating, which is so powerful, a higher level than anything we've ever developed, has found several systems that they believe are older than our universe. And they, they, science doesn't know how to categorize them. The, the researcher that I was reading the, 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 the thing he wrote, he said, we're calling them universe destroyers. And so far, they're holding true to that name because we had this hypothesis that this universe happened at this time based on carbon dating and telescope and how far away before the light waves come into the scope of the telescope. And we have all these, you know, the hypotheses. Mm -hmm. And now we have encountered two entities that maybe blow up this hypothesis that the Big Bang did not happen at this time, that maybe it was something else, or maybe one or two or both of these things we've just discovered, these anomalies, are were an earlier Big Bang than what we thought. And so it causes me to say, okay, I have new evidence to process here. So I might need to change my opinion on 
that when and where and how the Big Bang happened. That's yeah, and, and, and this is for everyone back to what we talked about in the beginning. Uh, I, I said it or a company slogan was inspire change in life. And me and Hilda actually had a conversation just before uh, this meeting at our little office table outside here in our office kitchen, uh, where we talked about inspiring change. What does that actually mean? What does actually inspiring change mean? If you're going to inspire change, you have to inspire growth if it's going to be a positive change. It could inspire a decline, but that would most often be a negative change. So you're going to inspire you to grow. And growing is the changing part. And growing is hard. Growing is when you struggle. Growing is when you violently oppose a new idea in my company that I present to you. That, that's when, that's when but, but you grow and then you critically think about why do I get so upset? Why do I get so frustrated? Or why did I like it so much? And that is the process that we all need to take ourselves through. And in seven years, if you haven't completely redone yourself, you will be obsolete in the next seven years because the change in the world is moving at such a rapid pace that you have to always be willing to change because unless you grow, you will be irrelevant one day in the future. And now there is beliefs that doesn't have anything to do with your business, okay? So your religion doesn't have anything to do with your business. So you don't need to change your beliefs in your religion to be able to stay relevant in your business. But in a discussion about religion, which we could have now, and me and Randy could go for another four hours and we wouldn't have scratched the surface on this subject, you know? If we did that same debate seven years later and none of us had any new input or one of us didn't have any new input, the one without the new input, the one without the growth would be completely crushed if it was an important subject to them. If it wasn't an important subject, they'll say, hey, you're studying that. I want to debate this instead. Yeah, yeah. What, you got anything else on your list that you had that you wanted to chat about? I got like a thousand things here, but I see the time is flying. I, I think that one thing that is very like uh, very high on my list these days, and that is really help my team grow. That's really on my heart. And, I, and I'm digging into a lot of things. What have I done? Uh, through my career that have caused the success that I've had, that I've been failing on teaching my team. So, so because there is a lot of things that I might have done just naturally or by coincidence, and then a lot of what you train your team partly comes out of book, partly comes out of other talks, and you don't always have the time to like think through what was your way of doing it versus your way of teaching it. And then making that congruent and discovering what I'm doing, which I maybe haven't been teaching as well as I've done in the last few months. And, and one of them has been very strongly on getting people started to spend enough time in the getting started process to go through three 
specific questions and then three specific conclusions where I'm going to do them very rapidly. I don't have the time to develop on them, but number one is find out what people want. Problem today is that people want to live in a nice place, have a good life and make an impact in the world. I cannot help them do that. So that's why I discovered number two, what in specifics would they like to want? So when you live your dream life and everything, you're helping the planet, which house is it in? Which car is it in? And I go through the specifics so we know exactly what they want. And then number three, I bring them to uh, their opinion. So I say, so those things in your opinion how much does that cost as a monthly income? And then they tell me the monthly income. And then I say, finally, that I can help you with, which brings me to question number four. And that is in your current job, how many additional hours would you have to work to be able to make that monthly income? Which for the first time shows them that they need me more than I need them. And that's turning the table in the getting started meeting, which I found out that I didn't teach properly. I've been teaching a hundred variants of this, but I didn't like say that's the critical moment. That's when they need you and you're not begging them. They will be asking you for help. And that makes number five very easy. So if I could help you do that, can you commit solidly for 10 hours or more every week? No excuse. Because if you can't commit to that, I can't help you. And then I get a commitment on their time, which is solid. And then I say, the two first hours, we're going to set up your business. One hour is about writing the list, finding out who is the 10 first customers, who is the 10 first partners. I want a solid written list of 100 in some digital form or in a paper form. And I don't want to work with those. And then we spend the next hour setting up the meetings with those 20 people so we can get your business launched this very first month. And teaching people that, and when people start implementing just in the exact way that I was doing it all of the years, they get more independent leadership faster. And they save so much stress in chasing people by having people chasing them. And then the second part to that is what I do with people that are already in the business, but they're not moving. And it's three steps. Pretty much the same stuff that I went through, but you can't go through those six points with a person that had been in your business for two years. It doesn't work that way. But then I spend time on their dream building, like really spending time on what they want, their incomes that they want, and so on. And then when I've spent time dream building with them, I actually go into compensation plan. And I either have my whiteboard behind me or I pull it up on the uh, Zoom where I have a whiteboard on the Zoom. Best is to do it in a restaurant. And I draw out in the compensation plan by hand what they need to do to achieve that income. And I keep on doing this process until the light goes on and they say, okay, I know what I want. I know how I can get what I want. And then I move on to step number three, which is who? Who are the new people we need to sponsor? And who are the leaders in your organization that we already can get excited by finding out what they want? 
And when somebody knows what they want, they know how they can get it, and they know who to get it with, they're ahead of 95% of the people on the planet. And they're ahead of 95% of the people in direct selling, and they move to another level so quickly. And I find it so exciting to be working with recruiting, which is on my calendar for 2023. And that's why I put the Rhino up on the board and it's locked on target. Or uh -huh. recruiting is doubling this year. There is no excuses. I will pivot, innovate, build new tools, drive new volume, come up with new systems until we're locked on that 100% growth rate because that's going to help more people in my company this year than any year before. And next year, it might be something else on the wall to tangle back, pendle back towards more customer ratio again, but it's always a pendle swinging back and forth. And if you keep on thinking critically about what do my team need, you serve them on that. There is no way you're going to stop at a thousand euros a month. You're going to rapidly move to 10,000. You're going to see that 50,000. And I believe that everyone that is willing to put in what it takes can go on and build true wealth for themselves. All right. So this was two fascinating little vignettes, one on starting the new people, one on the people who are stuck. Go back to the question you asked yourself that led you to this breakthrough. I would like you to repeat that and articulate it again, because that, is, and then I'm gonna put in the show notes and make sure at exactly this point, the single most important breakthrough question Orion asked himself. Eight hours I think and 97 was... minutes into the show. <laughs> Yeah, so what did I do specifically that I've not been able to teach my team well enough that I'm teaching my team today, which is really making a lot of progress? Two short months into it, we're killing it. And I know March, without the launch of Turkey, which is going to be great, I think we'll put like more people in the first month in Turkey than we did in the entire March last year in the company, okay? So without that, we're going to be on triple digit growth in March because people, when they know what to do, yeah, they get motivated. Here, here is the clue. So motivation starts from, yes, there is a certain part of where you have expectations. Uh, you know what you want. And then there is the instructions, how we do it. But then when people know that they are responsible and they they in that responsibility, they see, okay, I, I know how to do it. I'm responsible and I know how to do it. I know what I want and I know how, who to do it with. The, the motivation goes through the roof. Then they're inspired and they can't stop working. And that's what happens when we get really into the trenches to bring out the best of ourselves to have a great year. Yeah, I, I just maintained for a long time now. I, it took me a long time to learn it. But once I learned it is people really aren't stupid. They really aren't lazy. They really do want to do this. 
And when they're not doing it, we have to take responsibility and say, okay, how am I not helping them unlock this key? And I think that was, that's the why I say this is such a breakthrough question you asked yourself, which is, okay, what is the thing that I'm doing so well, but somehow I have not explained to my team so they can do it well? Because what you're doing there is you're taking personal responsibility. Instead of saying, oh, I have these people and they're just not serious. I have these people, they don't work enough or they don't sponsor enough. You know, you looked within and said, hey, what am I doing to contribute to this? And that's why you're Orion Sale. That's why you have the success that you have. And that is why I'm so grateful that you are my friend for all these many, many years. And I'm so grateful that you took out this time from your day to have this little conversation with me that we're going to be able to share with the world and they can listen in, you know, in secret, eavesdrop in, because I think we covered some really brilliant stuff, my friend. And I'm, I'm, I thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you, Randy. Uh, both Hilda and I, we appreciate you and we love you. And you've been that friend through all of these years that we always can reach out to, get some input, get a slap when we need a slap. <laughs> we didn't get into any of those moments this time, maybe next time. Uh, but inspiring us to become better with completely different viewpoints. We many times ended up center left, center right into that by using different processes by taking new facts. And I love that process. And you've really been one of those coaches in our life that made us better and made us capable of seeing that we could do. Because, and, that, and that's one of the big things on my heart going forward is like, I believe that everyone can do incredibly well. And I can help them see that. And the better I become at helping them see that, the more inspired they will be to grow and inspire themselves into being that person. And then we'll have a lot of success around us. And a last comment at after a dinner party that we had at the other night, I was saying to Hilda, it's fascinating. We're, we're now having so many like rich and wealthy people around us. It has a little bit to do with our age, but it also has to do with that people that have been in our circles have developed and they've become wealthy in the process of what we've been doing. And I really enjoy that the, the, the end of our works, the end of our labor becomes those beautiful people that also have resources to change the world. So thank you, Randy. You've played a significant role in our life. All right, for you guys watching, I if you're still here, you're a critical thinker. I'm, I don't know what percent we lost when we went to vaccines. I don't know what percent we lost when we went to masks, what percent <laughs> we lost when we went to God and religion. And it doesn't matter because I'm not doing this show for those people. I'm doing the show for the critical thinkers. And I just got to say, the feedback I'm getting on this is just for the, the people who really 
who, you know, and you were one of them when the first show you said, well, it took me like five days on the treadmill, but I heard the whole show you did with art. And that's what I'm hearing from everybody. They're just making it their cardio for a week. You know, each show is like, and I'm doing one show a week now. So for you guys watching, you're here, you're a critical thinker, make sure you subscribe and get your team watching this because there are just gems of wisdom in these conversations that you just, you can't get, you can't access it any other way. It's like, and I, and I wanted to use those taboo things to set up the conversation because otherwise we would just go directly into the filter of I've yeah. heard that before, I've heard that before, I've heard that before. So connect now. What happened during this pandemic time is what's happening as a pandemic in your business. Yeah. People buy into concepts that are not documented, that doesn't work. And sometimes they buy into it because it doesn't work, because it comforts them. And we, yeah, we could keep going, but those that stayed to the end, well, you, you got some really good material here. Uh, and the other thing I would say to the people watching is you might just have heard from the second best leader who lives in that house in Oslo. <laughs> and don't you dare miss, I have an upcoming episode with the other half of that equation, with Hilda. And um, she is just a treasure. And uh, I can't wait to see where that conversation goes as well. Um, the, love the two of you back. Thank you so much. Um, and everybody watching, get down there, hit the subscribe button, and we will see you next time. Peace. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe.